Welcome to the Slow Twitch Podcast. Uh, this is episode four. I am joined by Ryan Heisler, of course. And Hello. Ryan, we have a, a guest today again. Two I weeks know. in a row. It, I mean, I feel like I sold the podcast a, a little bit short by saying that we weren't going to frequently have guests and then we go back to back with it. But we are joined this week by Ben Canute. Uh, ben, thanks for uh, hopping on with us this week. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me, guys. Busy, busy, busy week since the last time we talked. Yes, lots of things ha- happened over the, the weekend. Um, in in the regular running of the podcast, we are going to spend the next little bit uh, kind of recapping what has gone on over the weekend in the sport of triathlon and also just a little bit on what's gone over on the site. And then we're going to dive into a lot of uh, really cool things with with Ben, um, particularly his um, uh, his journey from you know being a an Olympian and a specialist in short course to moving into the half distances into the full, and particularly his big event that's coming up, which is Challenge Roth, that uh, we will be joining him with that. So, Ryan, what do we want to talk about as far as the recap from the weekend? One thing, uh, if you're a nerd about tires or anything like that, both Eric just had a gravel tire review. Dan just put up um, a really interesting article about um, tire width and uh, what's being ridden in the pro peloton and how that might evolve into what we ride as triathletes and everything else. But I think, you know, the thing, the elephant in the room really is kind of uh, Hamburg and the really tragic incident that took place on course on uh, Sunday morning. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about that a little, a little bit. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want to get too far into the weeds with it. Um, so, I mean, you know, just for anyone who hasn't read the front page of the site or anything else, um, there was a collision between a press credentialed motorcycle, um, and an age group athlete that was traveling in the opposite direction on an out and back section of the bike course. Um, the operator of the motorcycle passed away. Um, the cameraman who was on the back, uh, was treated and released from the hospital and the age group athlete, um, has been posting on various forums. Uh, seems like he will have kind of a long-term recovery, um, but will eventually recover and is already talking about what, uh, his race schedule might look like next season. So, um, peak triathlete right there, but yeah. And, and let's, let's take a moment here to just recognize the tragedy of this, because this is something that, you know, um, no one wants to see. And, um, and, and our thoughts and in our prayers go out to everyone who has been involved by it, whether it was the family of the motorcycle driver, the, um, you know, the individuals themselves that have been in the, the, the accident, but also all of the people that saw and witnessed the accident as, as well. Um, you know, I've personally never been into an accident that bad myself, but I've witnessed accidents like that. And, and, and they're, they're life-changing. Um, there's something that you remember for your entire life and, and our thoughts and our feelings definitely go out to all the people that are involved with it. Um, You know, so just want to make, take a moment for that. Now, with that said, um, it has caused all sorts of conversations um, within the community that are, in my opinion, um, a little bit of a double-edged sword when it comes to the reality of live broadcast and or media coverage that, you know, people generally want and demand more of. Right. And so, you know, what I want to do with this is, is potentially talk about the balance of this. You know, you've got you who has, from a legal perspective, dealt with a lot of this in, in other jobs. You've got me who have, has been on the back of a motorcycle for 15 years from Ironman to the Tour de France to 
you know, Leadville. Um, and then you've got Ben Canute, who is a professional athlete who is there in the mix, you know, racing while there's this, you know, these, these motorcycles around. And so I hope to take about five, 10 minutes of the podcast and, and start to explore those so that we can, um, maybe help steer the direction of the conversation of, of where these, 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 these feelings should potentially be going versus where some of the feelings are going in the community right now. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think one of the first places to start looking at is, you know, one, there's been a lot of criticism towards Iron Man for the use of the term medical event um, to, to describe kind of what happened, right? Like with the, with the motorcycle operator. And at the end of the day, um, we don't know what happened yet, right? Like anything in terms of like, did what's there a medical event that took place prior to the collision? Was there something else? Like until that is more definitive, right? Like you just, you don't know. And um, Iron Man can't speculate, right? Like they can't pinpoint and say, this is what happened um, for a variety of reasons. One of them being, you know, their own potential liability, right? But, um, you know, I, I think that and, you know, they're, they haven't been silent, but there have been, you know, kind of sporadic statements that have come out. Like that's, that's very calculated, right? Like I, my quote unquote day job has always been in marketing and communications. And like, this is kind of like disaster operations one-on-one. Like you only say something when you're certain of it. Um, and you only want to get the facts out there, but you know, more broadly, I think this is kind of one of those tipping point elements of, you know, are we a broadcast sport and trying to really enhance the broadcast and the media coverage that we get, right? Like, which is something that a lot of people in the community have asked for, or are we primarily just focused on like putting on age group events, right? Like if you're Ironman, because you know, the way that you answer the question of like number of motorcycles that might be out on course to help provide coverage, that answer is very different depending on what your business model really boils down to. It's a good point, right? And, and an example of that is, uh, let, let's just say Unbound for a second. So we're going to veer off yeah. from Ironman and, and what happened for a little bit. But Unbound, for example, happened this last weekend. And, you know, everybody in the forum was just complaining and whining about the fact that there's no live broadcast at Unbound. Um, it's, it's pretty clear that, that Lifetime has taken the approach that they're not a broadcast company. They have no desire to really broadcast these things. You know, they've done it in the past. They don't really want to do that. Um, whether it's because of this exact reason that we're talking about now, or they want to do it because it's a purist of a, of a sport. It's, probably the same reason why they didn't reroute, you know, all of the rich people that don't really know how to ride bikes from their walkathon, you know, for 10 miles on the course. Guess what? You're on a fucking gravel ride. It's supposed to be hard. Like, and if there's mud, we're not going to reroute the course so that you don't have to walk a little bit if you didn't have the right tire and or clearance, or you don't know how to ride a bike through, you know, the mud with your derailleur, like get with it, you know? And so, you know, it goes back to what is the end game of Ironman from a, is it a participation sport? Is a broadcasting business? The PTO, you know, like they're banking a lot on media, you know? And, yeah. and so it's, it's, it's like, it's difficult because, Everybody that has a loud voice, whether it's an it's a real loud voice or it's a keyboard warrior, demands more and better coverage of yep. the races. And and they're the same people that when something like this that is tragic as it is happens, are the ones that want to complain about how there's too much going on. 
Yeah, I think that that's just, I think, typical in anything. I think negativity and- Ben speaks. Yeah, it's coming in. Um, but I think this is, this kind of goes off of like just news in general. Like yeah. no news is good news. Nobody talks about all of the good things. If a broadcast goes 100% well, nobody's going to really, you know, put a headline saying no incidents in the broadcast. But, you know, <laughs> if there's something that goes wrong, whether the feed shuts off or there's just, you know, issues despite, you know, seeing something like, like even taking out seeing something super tragic on a broadcast, um, the negativity, I think people always complain. They want more, they want more info, that sort of thing. So, I mean, I think there is uh, quite a bit of value in the professionals and watching the race, but, you know, there is an extent to like, what is, um, how are people, how are we going about doing the broadcast? Yeah. And I've seen people talk about, you know, uh, like short track mountain bike racing and all these other where they put in drones or, you know, it's, I, I think personally it has to be dependent on the course and what's going on. Like yeah. I think the streets of Hamburg, um, I've raced there as an ITU athlete. I've never done the, uh, Ironman race, but I know that some of those European roads are super narrow and having motorcycles, age group athletes, professionals all squeezed onto narrow streets, you probably are limited. And I know it, Ironman Arizona specifically, the one full that I've done, it's a three loop course. It's got, you know, thousands of age groupers that get, we, if it's three loops, that's what, like 40 some miles, a little less, like 30 some miles per loop. So it gets pretty crowded. And they pulled the motos after one or two laps because they just knew that it was going to be that crowded. Um, and to kind of, I think the biggest thing about this incident is that it was like an official moto because there are accidents in every single race. Like at Ironman Arizona, there was an age grouper who on the downhill section, it looked like a pretty rough crash and there were ambulances there and stuff like that too. And, you know, I think more of these accidents are coming out of the woodwork now because triathlon is kind of, you know, there's a risk to doing it, yeah. but it's the fact of, I think the moto specifically or a vehicle that, you know, we've had vehicle instances in races a few times, but I think this is, uh, probably the most significant one recently and specifically from it being like a special race uh, vehicle um, that I think kind of is why for sure, you know, the, the spotlight is so heavy on it too. And some of those photos, I think from the live broadcast, it was, it was a pretty excessive motorcade um, probably because of the draw of the athletes there um and just wanting to capture everything um but that's i think you know gonna cause us to look at like what do we actually need to provide a broadcaster is it even doable on certain courses because you can have that participation aspect and people could do ironman hamburg but maybe that course isn't the absolute best to have both you know a ton of age groupers plus you know, the, the pro broadcast. And, and I think you bring up a really kind of interesting point, right? Like this is one of those perfect storm mm -hmm. elements, right? Where you had a, it was men's professional field only, right? Yep. With a really, you know, kind of highlighted star studded field. You don't have a women's pro field to help spread out the kind of totality of the coverage that you might in kind of other places because it's taking place in Germany. You also have um, probably the deepest media coverage that you're going to get outside of say Roth um, mm -hmm. in Europe. And so you have a situation where this course, which may or may not be the best to have like a really deep pro field and an age group field together like it's this perfect storm situation where like you have the potential for um, a significant incident. And we are seeing kind of more and more of these types of incidents develop, right? Like we had a uh, vehicle and Matt Russell in Kona, mm -hmm. you know, a few years ago, but even talking about like professional versus an age grouper with like Matt Hansen in Texas. Yeah. And, you know, like I, th I think that's one of the things that you're always going to deal with, with multi-loop bike courses 
But those kinds of multi-loop buy courses are also the kinds of things that get events permitted in the first place so we can actually have a place to play. There's also more going on in Hamburg because they were, I believe, I don't know if this is 100% true, but I'm pretty sure this is the first time that they did the additional language broadcast as well um, outside of the world championships and in St. George. Um, and so, you know, and that kind of goes back to the, the demand, right? Everyone wants more coverage. Everyone wants more footage. Um, and, and so what is that balance? Um, you know, I, I appreciate the fact that that Iron Man is trying to step up to the plate with with more better coverage of their events. Obviously, they're doing it to make more money, um, but they're also listening to their consumer base at the same time. Um, what I would like to see from Iron Man is faster communication, um, and I understand that that's difficult, uh, particularly when you're not a huge company. I mean, I, I kind of thought about the um, the Buffalo Bills game yeah. last year, and um, you know, and when that when that young man got hit, and you know, that took the NFL a couple of hours to figure out. And we're talking about the NFL, right? Like, I can't even imagine how many PR experts were involved in that decision process and and what to say and when to say. And it took them hours to figure out what the fuck they were doing. And we're going to complain that Iron Man took, you know, a a day or a couple or whatever it was. Now, I want want them to, to provide things faster, right? But at the same time, like, we got to put things into a little bit of perspective here. And don't forget, right, like the NFL was going to restart that game and it took the players to say no, right? Like, and so this is, again, kind of one of those situations where a lot of people were asking why they didn't cancel the race, right? And like, unfortunately, like severe accidents happen with a somewhat relatively normal frequency for events. Um, This is just one that you actually saw, which is really kind of rare, right? Like for it to be on the live broadcast. I think it's tough to to have a race. This is because I think I've seen a few people, you know, asking that too. Why are we, why wouldn't they stop the race just right there? I think, you know, in, in talking about the broadcast, <laughs> that's well, that's a little different. Yeah, I mean, the broadcast bringing it up, like I don't really know legalese that well or PR or how you would handle the broadcast. I think people might have liked them um, to bring it up and at least acknowledge it. But as far as like you know, I tried to put myself in the professional's position, and if I had seen a crash like that, and racing ITU, racing a lot, like I've seen crashes on the course, like bike riding a crash is a risk and obviously not you know hitting a moto but like cars have crashed and i think the situation where there was so much support there you assume a lot of times hey there's a lot of people like they're gonna stop they're gonna be taken care of there's actually people there to help them if they were on the side of the road and they're out on a quiet part of the course that's completely different but then just like i mean the logistics like something happening that fast in the middle of a race i think i maybe would have seen that and you know not even processed it for another couple minutes for like what actually happened and never would have assumed that somebody you know would have lost their life in a crash like that i mean you just don't want to even think that way and then you know in stopping the race like to I, I think Hamburg is probably one of the biggest races that they have because of just how big that transition area is and everything like stopping a couple thousand a few thousand people and trying to stop that race would create so much chaos like I'm not in the logistics business I'm in the racing business but like to me, I just, I wouldn't have any idea except for kind of how they did. You have to cordon off the course, take care of that person, put all your medical attention towards them. And then 
you know, as far as the other racers go, like probably, you know, 90% of people in that race, if not more, had no idea that it happened, except for the fact that they were maybe turning people around early or something. So um, I think probably the biggest issue around it is people saw it. It's almost like it's to a bigger extent of what happened with like the Sam Long situation. And the fact that people saw something, you don't see the whole situation and you just want it acknowledged because you don't, you don't really want to be like gaslighted or something and have it be like, Hey, this didn't happen. Um, but again, like that's where it comes down to like, what, what is Iron Man saying? What are to the broadcast team? What's going on? Like, are you allowed to talk about it? Is that going to put you in a tricky position later? So, but I think, feel like that's probably the biggest catalyst is where it feels like the incident was ignored. And I think that's part of what makes this a little bit more difficult, right? Is the fact that like Iron Man's their own media when it comes to the race broadcasts and they've done a really good job this year with adding new voices to the commentary team and everything else. Like the quality of the broadcast has kind of stepped itself up, but you know what Iron Man as a brand and doing as a media entity versus let's say, you know, it was NBC that was, you know, like Iron Man was providing the, video but like nbc we're doing the talk track or something else right that's going to be a very different situation in terms of how like a traditional news outlet or like even if eric and i for some reason were doing the commentary like what we're able to say and report on um might be just a little bit different than you know, what someone who is effectively in employ of Iron Man is able mm-hmm. to say in that situation. Well, and you saw that across the board in our industry, right? Like yep. you had news organizations and, you know, people that claim to be news, news organizations saying the wildest stuff that ultimately wasn't true about what actually happened. But but they're allowed to say that because it's an opinion piece and, but it, it's different. But it, it's also even right. Like in terms of, you know, from a, from a factual standpoint, right. Like acknowledging that the collision took place, right. Like, and, you know, saying something and, you know, the tone of the broadcast may or may not change based off of what you've seen. Right. But you know, to kind of to tie this together in terms of like what Iron Man might be able to do in the future, right? Like if you're having multiple broadcasts, right? Like you could have, you know, just one or a series of motos that are providing the live picture coverage, right? And then you determine what you're doing with it from like the actual broadcast perspective. So say you have like the Iron Man footage person on the leader second like the chase pack everything else but then you're able to provide the control of oh we're going to throw to this prepackaged interview or this other thing because you're just you're using it as a feed to then put out to your broadcast rather than like not everyone needs to have their own set of cameras to be able to do that kind of thing Yeah. Having, I mean, having 18 motorcycles or however many, like I saw a couple of those screenshots and to me that just seemed excessive because it's an Ironman. It takes, you know, seven and a half hours. Like there's nothing that's going to be so important where everybody has to have be in there the entire time. Um, as far as like, what can you do for the future? I think you have to pare down the motos and you have to really assess how wide are the roads. And this goes probably for how many people you can have on a course at a given time too. Cause you know, a lot of these courses are at their max. And if you're doing multiple loops, like the professionals come by sometimes five to 10 or more miles per hour faster. And like having, you know, only two bike widths to be able like one for slow riders, one for fast, but then you need almost another lane because people bunch up. It's just, it's really tricky. And to add a moto in there, which is just, so much wider like that's where i think it's you know 
some races have safety corridors, some like it's almost like you now need a safety expert to evaluate what are these races like and what's actually capable if we're going to keep going the moto route and not using like, hey, you can have a moto for the first, you know, 50 miles, but through this, you know, 20 mile section, it's not a blackout zone, but you need stationary cameras, drones, different things like that to capture the action instead of, you know, this one. And I think, which we do in the States like that, that's a thing. Like that's a hundred percent a thing in the States. And, and I can talk about this for hours because I've been at all these meetings. It's, it's gotten to the point almost where up until last weekend, I would get annoyed by having to be on these calls again, because it's like the 50th, 60th, 100th time that I've heard this, like, don't be an idiot on the road. Um, But it just goes to, to show you like how important those things are. And, you know, there's, there's definitely things that I was surprised about when I saw some of the screenshots, like, like, do I think that that like that amount of motos is needed to cover the race? Yes, I do. In that particular section, absolutely not. Like, no way. Yeah. Like the fact that they were bunched up that much, that particular section, like it should have never happened. But at the same time, it's at some point during that event, when everything gets spread out and stretched out, like that's what it is required to do the amount of coverage that the the end consumer continues to try to demand for it. So I'd be super curious to, to actually get a statement on from Ironman on, on what they thought about that particular out and back section, because here in the States, like we don't even do out and back sections. And I personally don't do out and back sections. If there's an out and back, even if we're allowed to go on there, because they limit the amount of people that do out and backs, like I don't go on them because I'm like, eh, like, there's nothing that's going to happen on that out and back on a bike course that's exciting. And I just don't want to put myself in that situation. Well, and I think this is interesting too, because I've seen a couple of photographers and videographers and stuff comment on the situation too. But it seems like overall, you guys come from like kind of a background of endurance sports or sporting events, and you understand that, you know, the dynamics of a race, how things might unfold, when it might unfold and what the safety aspects are versus, I mean, and this is something that, you know, any race that I go to, like, you know, Ironman challenge, PTO, whatever, most of these moto drivers, from my understanding are volunteers and it could be their first race that they're covering. And I have no idea what the moto drivers were like in Hamburg, but I've been personally in experience. Like I tell the photographers cause they talk to the drivers, like, you know, whoever's going on, like, you know, just give a space or through this section or whatever. And even I've talked to race directors and officials to talk to lead motos because besides the safety aspect, it's all, you know, what's the draft effect from the chase group, the front group, all of that. And, uh, a lot of times it's police officers too, who like, you know, in some races, especially really hilly ones, give you a ton of space and then you're right up on them and then give you a ton of space. So it's, it's like, there's a, there's a disconnect from people who maybe ride motorcycles who don't always know how a bike will flow over a course, which is tough to teach somebody without experiencing it. And I, I think you know, this goes back to Hamburg being like a really unique situation because mm-hmm. with the increase in essentially effectively non-endemic triathlon media covering that particular event, you have kind of more people who may not necessarily know like how a bike course is going to unfold, like how the race will develop over time and that you don't necessarily need to be there like for every waking second of the race, particularly on those like out and back sections where, you know, if you've been in triathlon media, like it's very rare for something exciting to happen there. So why bother? Like go somewhere else, get yourself into a position where you're going to be able to take the kinds of shots that you're really sort of looking for. And so, you know, ultimately safety, like this all becomes a partnership between, you know, it's the moto, it's the photographer, it's the race director, and it's the athletes all kind of coming together to like 
have the best assessment of like, this is a place where, you know, like you got to give us space or you need to be able to kind of maneuver in a different way because like, this is how part of the race might unfold. Yeah. It's, it's going to be another, what I classify as a, as a forced lessons learned in, in a situation like this. And it's, and it's tragic that it's, that we lost somebody in this process. Yeah. But this is usually when those things happen. Um, you know, rules usually aren't written until something bad happens. Um, and and then it, it it forces the conversation. And so I, I know that, that Iron Man is going to be talking about this for a long time. Um, and, and, and there's probably going to be changes to it. And, and there's probably going to be changes that people don't like. And... Um, and that's okay. People could wind up taking the Roth approach, right? Where it's just going to be the live coverage bikes out there. Which is what we're going to talk about right now. Yeah. Because, because it is. But, but one question that I do want to ask Ben, because this segues, you know, really, really well into this. Because, you know, as most people know that are, that are on the forum and probably listening to this podcast, and if you haven't, you know, Roth has particularly this year – taken the approach where instead of listening to the consumer or the media, they listen to the professional athletes and the professional athletes were like, we don't want a lot of motos on course. And so this year, um, the only motos that will be next to professional athletes or the live broadcast. There's no, there's no journalists that are allowed on the course next to the writer. So like Ben, I won't, ever see you on the bike course i miss talking to you out on the course i know i know miss yelling it, it, and thinking i'm talking to you and you just nodding and smiling yes. and giving uh-huh. a thumbs up and being yes. like sure i understand everything you're saying dude i hear you i hear you <laughs> uh, but yeah. there's there's not going to be like i'll be on a motorcycle but i will be taken to certain spots of the course mm-hmm. where we will get our footage and other than that like we're i'll see you on the run but yeah. that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. So. And I, you know, I don't know, I, I've never experienced, you know, this world championship full distance type media parade that might happen in Kona, Roth, something like Ironman Hamburg, um, where it's just like so many motos out there. You see, like you mentioned the run course, but you see some of those pictures in Kona of like, you know, the 20 vehicles following the lead person just like all having pictures and stuff like that, especially back in the day. And, um, you know, usually in the races that I'm in, um, I would say, you know, at most there's maybe one or two motos hanging around plus a lead vehicle that's kind of far off in the distance. Um, so I, I really can't speak to like how big of a change this is really going to be. Um, I think that, you know, I can think of a few races maybe where it's like, why, why do we have so many motos and stuff hanging around? And I think Chattanooga last year was one of them, um, at the half Ironman, which was the regional champs. It just seemed like, you know, for that type of course, like there were just a lot hanging in between and around, um, but I think this is what kind of every professional does want is they want the least amount of motorized vehicle uh, on the course just because it it limits any unfair advantage, whether it comes from a lead moto or a chase moto or something like that. And uh, just for what happened this weekend, it just, you know, limits the danger aspect of it for if they're trying to leapfrog groups or uh, just something like that. So having like a clean open course, I think is what we've always wanted. Um, but I understand that, you know, we've always kind of understood that this is, it's part of it, having the broadcast, having the media out there to be able to show off what we're doing. Um, it's just, we've always tried to talk to different race directors and organizations about what's the best way. We don't care if motos are kind of hanging around and buzzing around a little, but it's, we don't want any unfair advantage and we just want safety, like especially around corners, narrow sections of the course and, and stuff like that. So I think Roth is trying to really find that balance, which will be super interesting to see. And I'm really excited to be able to be there for this and, you know, be a part of this new type of kind of coverage and broadcast. And, um, yeah, I think it does 
makes some people's jobs and stuff more difficult, or maybe it just changes how, you know, maybe pictures or live video or clips or something are kind of put out. But I think as long as we have that good broadcast and then stuff to supplement it afterwards, I think that it could be, you know, a really good change. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between say like an ITU broadcast and how like that might be influenced off of race dynamics versus say like what happens in a longer course race. So ITU is, uh, I would say significantly different kind of opposite end of the spectrum of Ironman. Um, and we'll just go, you know, middle full kind of combine that yeah. into one and, um, an ITU race. Um, there's rarely motos. There might be a lead moto in a sweeper, just like way far away from the packs, um, to kind of clear up. And this is speaking from, I haven't done an IT race in a few years now. So there are cameras on some courses that are able to show the packs and everything. But a lot of the footage comes from, uh, I think stationary cameras on corners, panning back, um, helicopter shots or drone shots, Um, and I mean, it's an issue that's been in IT races before too, where people feel like the chase pack got an unfair advantage being pulled up to the main pack or a group got away in a mixed relay because there was a moto on the course. And they're like, well, they were drafted off the moto the whole time because there's, you know, a significant windy section there. So with the looped course, um, they're much more limited, I think, in what they can actually put on course. So at most you might have a couple motorcycles, um, and then for like an Ironman middle distance, I think there's hardly ever any stationary cameras, maybe one or two in transition or something like that. And you just have a lot of like this almost like mobile media bubble that follows a specific part of the race. And that media bubble can be relatively small and you might only have one camera that's kind of following you off to the side, or it could be massive and it could be a few different motorcycles with like an official, a camera person, um, photographers and you know, that actual, wherever that live camera is plus any lead vehicles and stuff. So I think it's, um, different in that ITU is mainly the stationary looped course where they're never going more than uh, a few minutes away from the transition area versus Ironman where you could be, you know, 56 miles away at the far turnaround point if it's just an out and back and you have to have this, you know, kind of uh, group follow. If we talk about like the ITU, right? Like obviously it's way easier to control from a, um, immediate perspective, you know, there's loop courses and, but one of the things that you don't see, you know, super league has motos out there now and, yeah. and they're way shorter and way more corner than, have you heard anything from the super league athletes, Ben, that you've talked about where there's been issues with, with motos and stuff on those particular courses? Cause they're about as short yeah. as possible. And, and you want to talk about like drafting, like I've raced Super League, you know, back in the day and not recently with some of their like four weeks back to back. But, you know, I think with an ITU Super League, because I think ITU too, just with these mixed relays, they're super short courses. Uh, There's a lot of sections where, you know, if there is an out and back, the moto goes kind of straight through and another moto might pick it up. So I think Mm -hmm. they've logistically kind of worked it out. And there are some points like there are, always like is a squeaky wheel talking about, you know, a moto's helping this person out or something like that. And sometimes you can see it fairly obviously in results, um, especially if you were at the race. Um, but that's, you know, where, what is the best way to have a moto out there? Because obviously in front of an athlete is really helpful, but if there's a crosswind and they're right to the side of you and they're blocking that crosswind, that also helps. So what's the distance, how big of a course and at least with super league too, they do have a ton of stationary cameras. Um, and they've, you know, put a lot of thought I think into their broadcast cause they're another organization that is, you know, pretty much just selling it as a viewership sport. Um, so I think, yeah, they, it, there's all the nuances. And I mean, to be honest, like I see probably a small fraction of it. Um, and don't see like, you know, everything except for when I notice a stationary camera, I notice a drone or I notice, you know, the moto that's actually kind of following me around. Cause otherwise, you know, it's best if, you know, I don't even notice they're there 
and you're like, oh, the race was broadcast, but we haven't quite gotten to that point just yet. Yeah. So to kind of wrap up the Hamburg thing and, and, and move on to the Roth and getting into how Ben and I are going to survive without certified Piedmontese beef for like 14 days when we're in, <laughs> I, I don't, we got to talk about that, man. I, I but we can't do it. We can bring the beef snacks, but we can't, we can't we have bring. some vert. We'll find yeah. vert. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. All right. Some schnitzel. Yeah. There we go. I like that. And beer. Are you going to have a beer with me afterwards, Ben? I know yeah. you. Okay. All right. Yeah, I'll have a beer afterwards. I mean, it's an, I, I'm going to have to, after Ironman Arizona, I was wrecked on the finish. I don't know if you saw some of those pictures, but like, oh, yeah. I was like my whole body just like completely like convulsed at the end. I was there. I saw. Yeah. 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 Personally saw. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So, so Ryan, I'm going to ask you this question um, to kind of wrap this up. Do you feel like this is a pivoting point for Ironman on whether or not they need to decide if they're going to be a broadcasting company and, and, and go full board or are are they going to be just age group or are they going to try to work it out? So I think this is going to, eventually it's going to wind up somewhere in the middle, right? Like I think they're going to wind up adjusting. So that way, like, I don't think they'll ever see that many motos with that few professional athletes again, like just that situation in and of itself can't, which is a, again. which is a good thing, right? Um, like we yeah. all agree that that was, and I think everybody's shaking their heads like that was fucked up. And I mean, you know, I think you're going to see stuff, right? Like it, the answer is probably somewhere closer to the way that Roth is developing it where, you know, like it's the live coverage cameras and we get photogs out to certain places on course. And that's just where you happen to be. And maybe it's a deeper media pool of, hey, everyone has combined resources and shares stuff a little bit. And we make sure that all the photographers get paid what they are worth because your work is valuable, right? But from an athlete safety perspective for professionals and age group athletes alike, you know, we probably have to pull back on you know, certain aspects of courses and how many motorcycles are there and how we uh, ensure that we continue to have a broadcast product because without it, like our sport, you know, winds up on the fringes. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It was, um, it was interesting to see a lot of the comments of, and what I, what I'm going to say about this is, and, and the people that are listening is, is <clears throat> you can't have it both ways, everyone. Like you can't, complain about that there's not enough coverage and then complain that there's there's too much going on like it's it there's cause and effect here like everyone's working towards the middle ground but sitting there behind a keyboard and just ranting about things that make zero logical sense whatsoever is not helping the situation but so, that's my brand eric no that is not your brand <laughs> luckily that is not your brand i was gonna say but ben why roth why are we going? Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Um, one, because Roth is awesome. I can't yes. wait to race there. Um, but two, so I I mean, in Ironman Arizona, I got my world champ slot. Uh, it was before the announcement that it was going to be in Nice. I got some messages afterwards saying, haha, Kona slot with air quotes. And I was like, okay, whatever. Cool. Like, I don't really care where it is. Just don't put it on my brother's wedding. And they put it right on my brother's wedding in September. And thankfully, you know, luck was on my side where that slot is not going to go to waste. And for people who qualified before the announcement, they gave the option to roll it to 2024. So there's like maybe 10 of us. And any other year, I would have taken the knee slot and because I want to race world championships. But obviously, I'm not going to skip my brother's wedding. My family would not approve that. I wouldn't approve that. And so then I was sitting there going, okay, well, um, what would motivate me? Like, I want some more experience, uh, in the full distance before I just go hop into Kona. But, um, I didn't really just want to do any Ironman race. Um, I, nothing was really popping out at me. Like there's some cool ones. Like my dad did the first Lake Placid Ironman back in the day. If I ever 
do an Iron Man again, it's going to be Lake Placid. Yeah, I've heard great things about it. And there's a there's a handful of Iron Man races too that are like super cool, competitive, but um Roth really was the one that jumped out with how the season laid out with all the races that I wanted to do. And it just seemed the most motivating because of it always being a competitive field, uh, a lot of eyes on it. It's almost a little mysterious to Americans, I think, just because we see it, we watch it. Um, and then, you know, it comes on strong, and then it leaves just as strong, too, because we're you know, distracted by the Ironman races around us and stuff. But Roth, I feel like is always that race that is like the world champs that just doesn't have the world championship title. And I think this is probably one of the best ways to get some full distance experience against some of the best in the business right now. Um, Just with no other race really would compare to it this year unless I was going to Nice. Now you made a, a, a decision earlier in the year to just focus on the big things you and your coach you know you you made it and you made a point to talk about that how how's that been going yeah it's been going really well honestly like the you know the results aren't as flashy overall uh it's not you know a bunch of wins or something but like i feel like at this point like for the past however many years of my career i've done a lot of racing throughout the year just from the nature of you know itu racing Uh, middle distance, just wanting to fit in Olympic non-draft. And it's really difficult to perform at the big races when you're distracted by a lot of different things. And I took a big focus into St. George last year and rolled that into Ironman Arizona um, because, you know, I got a bit distracted early in the year, raced a lot, and then sickness and just family stuff just really kind of sidelined me from significant training. And I spent like the entire summer last year building back up to be able to be in world champ fitness and just saw like, you can't be at, you know, 90% for these races. You're off by a little bit in a PTO race um, or, you know, a regional or world championship. And it's just, all the guys are just performing at such a high level now. And so we, when we were planning out this year, I picked races that would motivate me, um, that were kind of like high risk, high reward in that, you know, Oceanside was supposed to be kind of like the opener to the season, not very competitive. And it was, you know, pretty much just as competitive as any other race this year so far. So, um, that's just, you know, what's been motivating. And I think it's, there's a little bit of FOMA I'm missing out on escape from Alcatraz this weekend. And, um, with the fitness I have right now, like I'm, it's hard to not like message the race and like jump on a plane and go race there. But that really messed with Roth kind of prep. And this is kind of the one big race that's in the middle of the year that, you know, it's sandwiched in between PTO races and the world champs. And, um, really it's just been kind of fun to focus on training, peaking for these individual races. And then my season, essentially with all the big races is over at the end of August. And then I'm kind of filling in and doing other races that might motivate me and just kind of keeping that race fitness toward December because, uh, for planning for next year, Kona and the 70.3 world champs are so late in the year. Um, you just don't want to end your season too soon and feel like you're doing, you know, a full year build. You need that break. How's training been going for you? Yeah, so this is my first full distance block because like I said, like I was just training for 70.3 Worlds last year and we did quite a bit of volume. Just um, That's just I respond well to it, but it had a lot of 70.3 specific intensity in there. Um, Which obviously paid off for you. Yeah, and that, I mean, the main focus was half Ironman Worlds and as we got closer to that, Jim was saying, Hey, uh, why don't you put your name on the list for Ironman Arizona? Like kind of risk-free. I was like, nah, I'm not doing that. Like, I'm not racing an Ironman. Like, and if I'm racing my first one, like, do I really want it to be Arizona? Like great race, uh, not hating on it, but like, why, why wouldn't I pick something super cool that I could like go out to or whatever. Um, but then I thought about it and you know, I had some rides in there that were four or five hours long with two and a half hours at 70.3 intensity and was feeling good. Had a six hour ride with threshold at the end that, you know, I just kept feeling stronger. And so I put my name on and 
kind of asked Amram, like, hey, I'm, I'm putting it, I'm, I'm serious, but just can I make a decision after Worlds? And they basically gave me the day after and I'm like, all right, like, why don't we just try it? I'm super fit. Like Worlds went super well. It's a, it's a win-win because it's like I can sleep in my own bed. I can test it out. And Jim honestly he told me, he's like, you know, if you get to the half marathon point or 20 miles in or something and you're like walking, like there's no shame in just, you know, calling it at that point because you just didn't train for it. Like you're not, you might not be ready. And this is just a good test and a risk-free test to, to go in and give it a shot. And I'm glad I did because I had that week to kind of rest the week after to do some specific Ironman stuff and then a week to taper. And I just raced to what I felt I was capable of and that I could sustain. And, you know, despite Christian Hogenhog trying to like destroy us all on the bike. And so I raced like a hundred miles on my own between the bike and then the run. And then we like Hanson, Christian and I were all like together at mile 22. And I was like, this is, this is rough for the last few miles having to race like this. And yeah, I mean, it just, that was really good. But now having a few weeks at least of full distance training, like I'm able to stack it up. And I think my body just, this is kind of what I was meant to do the middle and long course triathlon and that I'm more of a diesel engine and can just kind of go for a while. And I was always kind of forcing my body into the ITU stuff and the short course with all the surging and everything. And I just see like all of my metrics, despite putting a ton of volume and Ironman specific intensity, like my sleep scores and stuff are still really good. I'm able to keep coming back and everything and doing training and yeah, just, honestly enjoying the work overall yeah now you do you i just saw on your instagram um where you do your long rides in san diego talk well, which, about which long ride <laughs> well you just you just did a bunch of loops like because you know you've got your family and 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 yeah. you're all in a condo that you have in san diego and and but like where do you ride where do you do your long rides in san diego yeah, so it it's split up. So I'm a bit of a masochist in the fact that like I love the numbers and I love, you know, dialing in. Like if Jim gives me a workout, like I love to dial in. Like if I'm doing an hour at like let's just say 300 watts, like I'm going to hit 300 or a little over. Like that's and I want to dial into it. I hate stoplights. I hate, you know, I, if I have to go up and down hills, like that's okay, but I like to just put out that power. So at in Phoenix, I have a road that, you know, is a 15 minute stretch, 12 minute stretch. And I'll go back and forth on that to do my focused efforts to keep it safe because it's a good bike lane and everything. But San Diego is a little bit tougher with the stretch of highways here. Like I have like an eight to 10 minute, but I'm not doing an hour interval on that. So I drove down to Fiesta Island, um, the birthplace of triathlon. And I parked on it and I'm like, I had like four hours and 10 minutes of work at or above Ironman pace. Um, and then I was like, okay, like this is going to be brutal kind of if I keep track of every lap, but at least I can get the work in, not break arrow and then just like get in all of that. And it's, it's kind of like a trainer ride, except for the fact that you have momentum helping you. And it's not like the worst place. Like you're on Mission Bay, like it's okay. But um, that was the the train, like the interval ride. But then a few days, a couple of days after, I did like this big loop, basically of all of North County. Um, because yeah, if it's an easy ride and it doesn't really matter, just like kind of steady. Like I'll try and go out into the mountains. I'll roll through the hills and stuff. And I uh, had like six and a half hours, like kind of looping through there, which I think much more enjoyable scenery wise, but like, uh, I just find it's, it's worse when you're trying to do focus work and you just can't get it done because of stoplights and stuff. So, um, yeah, I, a four mile loop around Fiesta Island and I did like 125 miles or something on that <laughs> island. And at that point I'm like, my family was there hanging out. I had like a cooler to refill and I'm like, I'm not fucking leaving this island. I'm going to do it all on here just to show like I've done before where I go off to the gas station. I'm like, you know, if I'm going to make it this long, if Jim is having me doing an hour, 45 minutes, like interval long, like I'm just going to stay on here and like, Maybe this is the record, but I'm sure there's some guy out there who's done like 24 hours of Fiesta Island or something. Yeah. Is it your swimming? So Ryan's like shaking his head while you're yeah. talking about this, like in just complete disgust. But 
is it your swimming background that enables you to do this where you're just like staring at a black line forever like just doing laps like what yeah i think so like it's i you know i kind of view it as like it's a mental and a physical training day and like i'm well and it's you know it's one thing too like if you're like almost deep into a hole and you're trying to go out there and hold intervals in general, like going out to a mountain and climbing is much more enjoyable and much easier mentally. Cause you can kind of zone out the hill helps you out. But this, like I was okay. Like I wasn't rested going into it, but I at least felt okay. So I can like dial into the rhythm, try and get to like the flow state and then almost put myself in like a race situation. Cause let's be honest, like it doesn't matter where you race. Like if you're actually racing, like, I'm not enjoying the scenery. I basically see the road and that's it. Like unless I train on the roads beforehand and like know to look somewhere, it's like really just kind of focus on what's around you specifically like right, you know, maybe 50 meters up the road or something like that. So that's where I kind of tap in. Like that was like a race sim ride for me and that's what I wanted to tap into. So that's completely different than, you know, if I'm going out for base building, like I'm not ever going to do that many laps on Fiesta for an easy ride because after two laps, I would be like, yeah, no, I'm going to go and sit at, you know, half an hour worth of stoplights before I do another lap here. I remember when Taylor Nib for Oceanside used you as an example of how to stay arrow because your, your head was just like staring at like the white line. And she's just like, that's what you got to do. You got to stare at the white line. It's super arrow. And then like Didi's like, well, you kind of have to look up every once in a while too. Like <laughs> you, you yeah, look well, with your eyes, not with your head. <laughs> exactly. I know when you're tucked in, it's hard to tell where the eyes and how the head is positioned. Cause you can put helmets, you know, on different portions, like kind of where they sit. So um, yeah, I'm probably looking a bit more up the road than like right at the white line, but yeah, no, I, and that's what I wanted to practice too. Cause Roth is not like, you know, super hilly. So having to break arrow on that course can be costly and Ironman Arizona, I was able to a little bit to pass groups to, uh, do the climb at the end, but I just wanted to get the time in the position, um, for that long because, you know, that's what the demand of the race is going to be. And I found my fit is really good, but you do have to spend time in arrow to just train your body to stay there and feel comfortable with it rather than, you know, just popping in for the race. Please tell me you got like the Strava local legend for Fiesta Island off that. Well, I, I mean, <laughs> probably, but I, I keep my Strava on private and share kind of specific things. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I should just create the segment of like 30 laps on Fiesta and oh, wait for somebody to break that, that segment. Now I'm going to, now I'm going to text you and ask like, yeah, Come on, <laughs> but, um, to that kind of point, like one of my old training loops, right? Like it took three years and me actually being in a car to realize that all of these years I had been riding past the ocean which you could yeah. see off to the other side. I never knew it was there. Had yeah. no idea because I was just locked into what I was trying to accomplish. But come on, man. That's why they've got like Wahoo rollers and everything else. Like you can get, Yeah. Get well, I came out to California to escape, you know, the brutal heat in Phoenix and some of the indoor training. So my, my year is opposite of most people's people yeah. try and get out in the winter from wherever they live. My, I try and get out for the summer because it's so hot. I try uh, to extend my winter as long as possible, yeah. but you know. <laughs> ben, when do you get to, uh, to Germany? Uh, I'll leave June 14th. So just about a week or so from now. And then that gives me about 10 days before the race from when I land kind of acclimate, uh, I want to make sure I ride most of the course, if not all of it, just from what I've heard, like everybody says, you know, it's a bit more challenging and a bit more tech technical than people assume. So, um, that's, I just want to make sure I'm familiar with everything before just heading out there, which is the exact opposite of how I did the PTO race in Ibiza, where I got in like two days before the race or two and a half days before the race. And like, uh, didn't really have much time to acclimate or anything like that. Yeah. And when do you take off to come back or like from here or to come back home? Sorry to, to come back home. Yeah. A couple of days after the race. Cause 
obviously, you know, it's a full day event. And then uh, the next day they have like the volunteer after it's party a party. Like, party. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, I was going to say Eric's concerned about the hangover. <laughs> Just continue <laughs> drinking the whole flight home, man. And you'll be, you'll be okay. Just put yes. off. The hangover. I'm there for like a, I'm there like five days after the race because we, right. we have a family, an annual family vacation in, in Florida that we do every year for the 4th of July. And, and it was like, I, I'm not going to come all the way back to Salt Lake to then fly to Florida. So I just flew and flying nice. right into to Tampa. So, um, but we're, we're excited uh, to have you on the podcast today. Thank you uh, yeah. very much for being the, the guest on the fourth episode of, of our podcast. And uh, we're, we're super stoked to, to go to Roth with you. Um, we plan on doing some activation stuff with you over there and uh uh, looking, looking forward to it, man. And uh, I'm looking forward to figuring out how we're going to get our beef in, uh, in Europe. <laughs> yeah, for sure. No, thanks for having me on, guys. It's a lot of fun. Thanks, man. Best of luck. 